This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. Thank you for checking out the latest edition of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz, a very special holiday edition indeed. Uh, Whichever holiday you are choosing to celebrate or holidays, I hope this finds you happy, healthy, safe, warm, and getting some great presents. So in this edition, Cutting to the Chase, I spoke with three entertainers who are all successful and doing very interesting things. And those are Dizzy Reed, Phil Anselmo, and Richard Holiday. First up is my interview with Dizzy Reed. Dizzy has been in Guns N' Roses as a keyboardist, percussionist, and backing vocalist for almost 30 years. Yes, almost 30 years. And being in one of the world's top bands for almost 30 years, it's interesting to see how he's been able to hold on to everything for so long, yet also stay busy with his own band, uh, the aptly titled Hookers and Blow. And also last year, he released his first ever solo album, which is called Rock and Roll Ain't Easy. We talked about all that, and I also pinned him down a little bit about some Guns N' Roses stuff, like what it was like writing music for the famous album Chinese Democracy. Maybe you should call that infamous, famous, infamous, whatever it is. And then uh, what it's like being in such a big band that's known to schedule everything so last minute. For example, how does he vacation? Does he vacation? Anyway, it was a pleasure to talk with Dizzy, who may or may not also be named Darren. So of course I have allegiance to people named Darren. Hope you enjoy the interview. Hello. Hey, how's it going there, Dizzy? I'm good, man, thank you, how you doing? I'm doing great. I had the pleasure of uh, being in Louisville, Kentucky when you were a couple of weeks ago. Was that a memorable experience for you? Fantastic. It was a great show. It was awesome. Last year was your first ever solo album, Rock and Roll Ain't Easy. What took so long to finally get a Dizzy Reed solo album? Because, of course, Hookers and Blow is your own band, but there was never a Dizzy Reed proper solo album before that. Uh, Well, you know, the funny thing is we actually started that record about... 12 years before it came out (laughs) so um for a variety of reasons it took a long time to come out there was just uh um lots of little little issues and logistic elements and finding someone to mix it and finding label for it but uh it was uh, a labor of love and i you know i kind of gave up on it a few times but my wife and some of my friends that played on it talked me into you know pursuing it still and when we finally did get a home with uh, gold robot records and they put it out I had no expectations for it, so I was just happy that it was out. So, um, um, but everything's been pretty good since then. So, uh, yeah, there was you know a, a lot of reasons, but uh, um, happy that it's out. I mean, do you have another solo record already in the works? Um, I am currently working on a second record, and uh, it's about halfway done. But I'm, I'm simultaneously um, recording the Hookers and Blow record, um, so they will, that will be out uh, probably before my solo record stylistically are they different from one another because you're obviously the driving creative force of both of them um well the the hookers and blow record is all cover songs so that's kind of what we decided we were going to do it was uh um 
And uh, we picked some good ones, some ones that we wanted to do and some ones that we thought we should do and probably some ones that maybe we shouldn't have done, but we did them anyway. So it's going to be a, it's actually turned out really cool. And on this new solo record that you're working on, are you playing most of the instruments on it? And I ask that because you're always thought of as a keyboardist, but you do play pretty much everything. Well, I, you know, I, uh, I sing, I'm, I'm singing everything. Um, and, uh, I, I do play guitar, but not in front of people, I guess. <laughs> I just, it's something that I, I picked up when I was a, a kid, uh, just for writing. So, but yes, on this, on this, this record, I am playing some more, you know, more guitar. I'm a little more involved than I was on the first one, as far as, you know, the instrumentation and stuff, um, it's a little more self-contained. Um, and it's actually been really fun. Um, I don't think I would ever probably pick up a guitar to play in front of people, maybe an acoustic, um, but also because I know so many great guitar players, it would it'd be, wouldn't make much sense. Well, speaking of that, you did play on albums by Mick Taylor and Motorhead and a lot of artists who I'm assuming were big influences on your career. Is there anyone that you're still hoping to work with that you haven't yet? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, uh, that's a tough one, I guess. Uh, I mean, I would love to play with the Stones, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, so... Um, but you know, I've been really fortunate over the years to play with, with uh, to record with a lot of great bands and and perform with so many great musicians. And uh, I'm just really thankful for what I've been able to do. One of the things I love most about your career is how you could be playing arenas and stadiums in one week, and then be playing clubs and jam nights the next week. And you kind of have this versatile thing where you're playing with a huge band, and then you're doing intimate kind of stuff. Does that kind of thing happen in other facets of your life where you're at the high end and also the low end at the same time and happy about it? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's still a show, you know, we're still performing for people and, and hopefully making people happy and, you know, give them something to remember. Um, but I think, you know, my life is kind of a dichotomy sometimes. Um, I'm a Gemini. I can't help it. But, uh, um, no, I, tr I try to keep, you know, outside of the music, I try to keep things, as, you know, as, as kind of a level as possible, but it's not always easy. I think, you know, probably my, emotionally, if you knew me, some of the, not my reactions to certain things are probably a little bit high and low sometimes, but uh, I just try to enjoy the high moments and, uh, and just, you know, see the low moments for what they are and, and just move on. Right. And you had success before the internet was a normal, normal thing. So your discography online, I'm sure, is incomplete. Were you doing a lot of sessions over the years where people don't realize, hey, that's Dizzy playing on the record? You know, not not so much. When I when I joined Guns N' Roses back in 19, whenever it was, um, uh, I was kind of really just dedicated to, to GNR. And, and, you know, I've tried to remain so over the years as much as possible. And uh, so I do, there wasn't a lot of... Uh, also, another thing, too, is back then, there wasn't... There were a lot of keyboards on, on rock stuff. It was kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a thing that just, uh, it's almost taboo to have a keyboard player in your band back then. Um, so, you know, I think with, with me performing with Guns N' Roses was one of the first times that a, a heavier rock band had a keyboard player on stage as part of the band. So, or, you know, at least it had been for, you know, for a while. Um, so yeah, I wasn't really doing a lot of stuff uh, back then, although I did play on pretty much everybody's solo records, <laughs> I played on Gilby's solo record and Duff's solo record and Slash uh, Snake Pit's first record. Yeah, that is true. You bring up a good point there because Kiss had a keyboard player on the side of the stage, Ozzy has over the years, etc. Was there ever a point where you almost were on the side of the stage for Guns? 
you know, I, I have a feeling it was discussed. <laughs> and, um, I just really, uh, I don't know. My, my reaction might have uh, made them change their mind, hopefully. I think I was kind of uh, upset. But uh, I think, you know, Axel always, has always gone to bat for me with stuff like that, and I really appreciate it. And um, I think once, once I got out there and, you know, it just made sense to everybody that I was, you know, part of the, part of the show. Well, one more GNR question, if you don't mind. I love the Chinese Democracy album, and you co-wrote a healthy amount of that album. Were you in the room together with Axel writing that, or is it kind of like the songs were jammed on, and then later you saw your names in the co-writes? Um, that you know, that whole album was just—it's a—it's a collection of, of uh, you know a lot of people working together at, at various studios over over you know a, a few years. Um, so, you know, it, I think at you know, certain times people brought in ideas, um, when we were maybe asked to, or when we decided we wanted to explore some more. So, you know, that happened and then, and then they were worked up as a group, as a band. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately Axel, uh, oversaw what, what was going to be on the record and how it was going to sound and, and, uh, you know, which is something he's amazing at doing. And, um, so yeah, it was, uh, there was many, 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 many hours and, and days and nights of, of you know, a group of guys in a room uh, working out, um, you know, song ideas. Got it. And so your next solo album, which you spoke a little bit about, is that coming out on Golden Robot? Is there a label attached to it? That is the plan. So uh, we signed a, and there's an option for a second record. So that's, that's what I'm working on now. And have you ever been tempted to write a memoir or do anything outside of the traditional musical realm that's creative? Ah, like a book, you mean? Sure. Now, I know that you acted in a film or two, and some people who are very creative also, you know, have aspirations to be a podcaster or an author. So I'm curious if that ever hit your, uh, your creative radar. Um, I, you know, I, it's, uh, I guess I kind of thought about it sometimes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to talk about stuff like that, but I haven't really, I don't, you know, I don't have any plans for anything like that in the future, but you never know. I mean, I, I do, uh, I do enjoy acting, um, but it's, it's just, you know, that's something that if I'm going to do something like that, I, I really kind of feel like I need to dedicate a, a shitload of my time to it to, to make sure that it's done right. And um, right now, my main focus is on uh, just, you know, making records and, and touring. And, um, and that's, that's what I'm doing. But uh, you never know. You know, if something comes up in the future, I'd be, uh, I'm always willing to try new things. And, and yes, creative outlet is, is a good thing. Um, so we'll, we'll see. And I'm not asking specifics here, but do you know what your 2020 is looking like? Um, no, as a matter of fact, we were just discussing that today. I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I, I think there's going to be some touring. Um, there's definitely going to be some touring some sort or another and, uh, and some, some new music coming out. So that, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. That's, that's, that's where it's at right now. Well, the angle I was coming from is in terms of productivity, because of course, if you look at your discography and you're touring over the years, you've worked every year in some form, but it seems like a lot of what you do kind of comes to you a week or a month in advance. Um, unfortunately that is the case sometimes. And, uh, um, it's better to, you know, plan things out long term, just to have for, for you know, preparation. And, uh, it's, you know, it's easier to, uh, um, logistically to get a show together. Um, if you have more time to plan it, but, uh, you know, with, with GNR, I, I get a phone call and, or a, an email and, um, you know, tell me where I need to be and when, and that's, that's, that's what I do. So, um, 
if I know ahead of time that we're definitely not going to be doing anything, I'll, I'll probably fill that time with, uh, you know, doing some shows with Puppers and Blow or, you know, by myself or whatever I can. So is it difficult to plan vacations when knowing that that email might come in? <laughs> What's a vacation? <laughs> well put. So ultimately, is there anything that you wish more people knew about Dizzy Reed in general besides him being a hardworking keyboard player and vocalist? Yeah, no, I don't know. That's, that's all they need to know, really. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> Um, you know what, if you want to drink a shot of Jägermeister or something, I'm the guy probably to, to do that with. <laughs> Better you than me. So in closing, Dizzy, any last words for the kids? Um, thank you for everything over the years, for your support and to all the fans. And that's, you know, we do this for you guys. And um, I mean, there'd be none of it without you. And we really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it. And we hope to see you out there very soon, wherever you are. From one Darren to another, thank you so much for your time. You gave me a ton to work with, and looking forward to seeing you in New York very soon. Awesome, man. Thank you, Darren. I appreciate it, man. Next up is my interview with Phil Anselmo, who you probably learned about from his work with the band Pantera. Pantera is just one of the musical projects that Phil has done over the years. He always seems to have three bands going on besides running a record label, besides popping up in the occasional online viral video. But Phil was a pleasure to speak with. We first spoke about his latest solo album, which is called Choosing Mental Illness is a Virtue. Definitely an attention-grabbing album title right there. So it starts off a little bit heavy, and then we talk about his musical influences, his comedic influences, and really what's ahead for him. And it's really refreshing to hear that he's not resting on his laurels. He's not just coasting on the fact that he was a singer of one of the most successful bands within the metal world for years. He's doing a lot of other stuff, but thankfully he is playing a lot of those Pantera songs live now, which he wasn't doing for years. So I think you're gonna enjoy this chat and experience a new side of Phil Anselmo. Hi, is this Phil? Yeah. Hey, it's Darren for your interview. How's it going there? Hey, man, what's going on? Well, thank you very much for your time. And leading right into it, I first want to know, is it Phil or is it Philip? Because the world doesn't know. Oh, Jesus, either one. <laughs> I'm easy, man. <laughs> well, thank you very much, either one. And you sure. have an interesting new album with a great title. When in the process did the album title come up? Oh, wow. Are you talking about, what, choosing mental illness? I am talking about choosing mental illness. Well... It's interesting. I guess it started with a lot of self-examination and looking at how certain, I guess, mental illnesses uh, have affected my family, my family members around me. And uh, I guess I, I was interested in them, I guess, uh, specifically, because I was dealing with a whole lot of different depressions and then there were some depressions that I distinctly knew where and why I was being depressed I, I understood most of them but then there was other uh, I guess uh, I, I was curious just uh, during self-examination man uh, about, about my family and and I did some diving and reading and researching and had some conversations. and uh, Yeah, and for me, honestly, the Choosing Mental Illness record feels so old to me now. I mean, it, it has been out for almost a year, I figure, but 
I, I guess it's new to, to certain people and other people, uh, but um, yeah, man, I was, like I said, it, it came about during uh, times of depression, and, and I've always used depression and a lot of negative feelings. I've used those against themselves, and I've been able, and thank goodness, and, and I'm very grateful for it, that I, I could, I guess, apply that, that negative energy into music and have something positive come out of it. So really, I guess that's where the title comes from. Of course, it's a, a title that kind of dwells on darker themes, and your music is generally known to have darker themes to it. But other people have been following your interviews over the year, know that you're a funny guy with a great sense of humor. Has there ever been interest in doing spoken word shows or one-man shows that show off that side of yourself? I would love to do that, sure. And I actually did a, one little spoken word thing. Oh, God, I forget where I was. Oh, shoot. I want to say Philly, but God, don't quote me on that. I did do one before, and it was a lot of fun. And, man, yeah, I'd be wide open to doing that. I'd love to do that. And what about writing a book? Because I'm sure you've got stories to tell. Well, that's already on the table. And I, I don't, I guess when it was first introduced to me, you know, the, the opportunity to write a book, uh, I thought about it for a little while, and then I thought to myself, uh, you know, I am maybe a little bit too young for this. But that was a few years ago. Uh, I am 51 years old now. I, I just, uh, I feel like the story is still being unraveled, man. And it is, you know, the more we live, the more the story grows, I'm guessing. And um, it just feels like right now there's so many irons in the fire. There's so many different and cool projects that I'm a part of and working with that the story's still being told. So, I, you know, look, man, if I get to be 60 or 61, <laughs> maybe, maybe, man, I, I might do it. But other than that, man, I, I don't know. I, I like my private life. I like my I like my downtime, but I guess, you know, if it's an interesting story or an interesting enough story, I could start with my life and stuff like that, uh, say in a book somewhere. But then I'm going to eventually run into too many good stories to where, gosh, maybe I should just write a series of ridiculous books short books or, or or write, you know, novelettes or short stories like H.P. Lovecraft or something like that, except uh, without the uh, Cthulhu's and freaking Dagon's and stuff. <laughs> sure. Now, you've been prolific as both an artist and as a businessman, given that your label has done so many things and you've had so many different projects. Are you the kind of person that's creating just about every day because it looks that way? Gosh, you use the word prolific, and that 
throws me for a loop right there. Man, I feel like I'm just living every day, one little step at a time, and and I, I don't know, man. It's so hard to put this into words because I am a freaking atheist, but I just feel blessed, and I can't say by what. I will say by good fortune, uh, all in all, you know, like, uh, of course, bad things happen in life. Terrible things happen in life. I, I, I'm just figuring it's how we rebound from these things. And I feel like I've rebounded and rebounded and rebounded. So, I don't know, man. Uh, prolific. Gosh. I don't know, man. Uh, and the record label, man, that's a labor of love, man. And I'm not sure we've done all that many things. And I don't know, man. I, I, I just I feel pretty humble about all this stuff, man, because I, I'm, a, I'm a freaking music fan. That, that's what I am. I'm a fan of the music big time, man. And I... Like I say, I'm just very, very fortunate and lucky to have music as an outlet and to have a freaking talent at something. I, I really feel just overwhelmed. I don't know what else to say. Well, you said a lot right there. And another thing that I find super interesting about you, and I'll drop the word prolific, <laughs> is that you're a big fan of the band The Smiths. Has it always been that way? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. And I, I remember seeing a cover that you did of How Soon Is Now that kind of leaked to YouTube. But were you a fan of the Smiths in your Pantera days as well, or is that a later-in-life discovery? Oh, I was a fan, totally, yeah. I've, since, uh, I guess, my, I don't know, 16, 17 years old, I've been a fan for sure. Freaking awesome band. Incredible band. But... Were you more of a Kiss and Van Halen guy that evolved into the Smiths, or what was your musical evolution in that sense? You know, I was a rock fan early, so definitely a Kiss fan, Van Halen fan, and then I guess yeah, somewhere in junior high, high school, I started meeting different people, hanging out with different crowds, because I got along with everybody, man. I was, I mean, I was one of a handful of dudes, I guess, by 10th, 11th grade who had long hair and whatnot because I was playing in bands, but I got along with everybody, so I would hear a lot of different music, uh, you know, at social settings and parties and stuff like that. So a lot of it sunk in, and the Smiths were tops. Them and that early Cure, too, uh, the 17-second record and Faith, uh, those two records in particular, man, just really, really uh, early U2. I mean, I guess that you would, if you grew up uh, when I did, you know, you'd see the just video after video on MTV of uh, great U2 songs, you know. And a lot of that music back then, man, just, just uh, stuck with me. So, yeah, I've been a fan. And that is... Uh, how it happened, man, you know, like I say, rock fan first, uh, pop fan later. 
And also on the influence end, I really like the video you did with Dave Hill. That comedy side of yours that not everybody knew was there. Was stand-up comedy a big part of your upbringing as well? It's funny you say that. It's not, but I did, you know, you got to figure when I was growing up, you know, that was right when Steve Martin was just getting big. You know, I had, I grew up in a house where we had the, the live Steve Martin records, uh, let's get small and wild and crazy guy. <laughs> so we would listen to those records and crack up, you know, at the house when I was a kid. And, uh, I mean, so it was there, but, uh, I don't know, man. I, I grew up with some funny motherfuckers and, uh, my, my mom is hilarious and uh, just my family in general uh, for as, crazy as they are they are some funny motherfuckers i'll say that so i grew up with it man and i just uh i guess i see the world uh like a case in point if you look around the internet enough you're just gonna see a bunch of negativity a lot of negativity a lot of uh disagreement a lot of clashing ideologies and ways of thinking and whatever and it's it's, it's just uh, a stalemate of things you know so it, i see that certain people have certain ways of looking at things i'm one of the types that knows you know if you look at something in a negative light for too long it's just going to rub off on you and and if you look at things with an absurd sense of humor, then I think it's a little bit lighter on the soul, light a little bit lighter on the on the brain, man. So I just choose to try and stay up fucking beat, man, and keep things funny, man. You know, that's just fuck. It makes things. I guess it makes life a, a bit lighter, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. And being respectful of your time here, in closing, Phil, any last words for the kids? The kids? Shit. That's interesting you bring up the kids, because just lately, man, with the illegals, we've been doing a collection of Pantera songs live, of course, is what I'm talking about. And, and, and man, I got people that are in the audience that are my age. And then I got a shit, man, 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 13-year-olds, depending on the show. I love to see the influx of new blood that never got a chance to see Pantera before. I love seeing them there. I know that they all grew up in homes where their folks were listening to Pantera. And I know what that's like growing up in a house of music. So, hey... Much, much, huge love to all the folks out there, all the Pantera fans, all the Illegals fans, all the heavy metal fans, and just music fans in general. I'm e-hugging everyone. Last and definitely not least is my interview with Richard Holiday. Now, I promised this was going to be a very special holiday episode, and of course, Richard Holiday belongs on the holiday episode. 
Richard is a very, very interesting and exciting professional wrestler. Within the company MLW, which is short for Major League Wrestling, he's one-third of the stable called Dynasty, along with MJF, who was on this podcast a couple episodes ago, and Alexander Hammerstone. Now, I had the pleasure of speaking with Richard in person at the Melrose Ballroom in New York City a couple of weeks ago when he was taping an episode of MLW Fusion, which is on the BN Sports Network. And, uh, you know, Richard didn't love me so much, but I think it's very understandable when you have a person of this intellectual caliber and this athletic caliber, etc., that he's not going to love everyone who interviews him. But the bottom line is he's a rising star that's on weekly television, and he's somebody you should get up on, you know, before everybody else realizes what an international global star in the making he is. Enjoy. So, Mr. Holiday, is it Richard or is it Mr. Holiday? Well, you know what? For you, I think it's Mr. Holiday. Okay, so Mr. Holiday, big match tonight as part of the MLW Opera Card. Who's going to win the tournament? Well, without a doubt, it's going to be the Dynasty. So whether it's Alexander, whether it's Maxwell, whether it's myself, it's going to be a dynastic night for sure. Who it's going to be, not sure yet. Okay. Putting all that aside, been a big year for you career-wise. Of course, everyone knew it was going to be a big year for you career-wise. But is there something you're most proud of from your 2019? Dynasty. Without a doubt, I think the Dynasty is something that the consumers have completely gravitated towards and has become not just a staple, but pretty much the whole show of Major League Wrestling. Really think about it. Three guys who came together who nobody thought would come together and make this work. Mm -hmm. Make this the most watched segments on MLW, the most talked about segments on MLW. It, it might even have a broader reach than that. It might be some of the most talked about segments just in professional wrestling in general. So if I look back on 2019, with good retrospective, I'm definitely looking at the Dynasty as my most proud. If you want to call it an accomplishment or just a moment in time, for sure. Now, obviously, you're the marketing genius behind Dynasty. Everyone knows that. Now, when you ask people who are entrepreneurs about when they first knew that they were good at marketing, you'll hear, oh, I had a lemonade stand when I was eight. Is there a first moment when you knew that you were just savvy in terms of promotion? Well, it's, it's no secret that I do have a degree in marketing. So that right there gives me a leg up just before I even entered the business of professional wrestling, I understood marketing mm -hmm. from a deeper perspective. And that's all professional wrestling is, is marketing. That's at the grassroots of it. All it is, and people overcomplicate professional wrestling. They try and do too much. Right. But marketing is key. And sometimes simplistic marketing approaches are what's uh, attractive to consumers. So for me to understand that and bring that to Major League Wrestling and then bring that implementation into the dynasty, mm -hmm. that was a big, big contributing factor to our success. Right. So all that said, a lot of people use wrestling as a springboard. They say, I'm going to be an actor after my in-ring days are over. Do you have your life planned out? And feel free to say, no, I'm going to be a world champion for the rest of my life. But do you have other aspirations outside of wrestling? Well, listen, I could tell you that I'm going to be a world champion for the rest of my life, but that's just not what I want to do. I don't want right. to be 65 years old getting in the ring uh, and, and having you know five-star matches. That's, that's not a goal of mine. Uh, I can tell you goals of mine would be uh, to have a very long and lengthy professional wrestling career and decide to hang it up on my own terms mm -hmm. when I want to hang it up. I want to own a string of coffee shops and place them all around the country. Mm -hmm. um, that is a dream of mine. You didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. And I'm going to have a question or two about uh, that afterwards. But yeah, keep going. Absolutely. Um, it, it's pretty much to go down as one of, if not the greatest professional wrestler to ever grace the earth. Everybody says that, right? 
But it's the truth. You don't get into this business unless you want to be the best. But outside of that, I do have interests outside of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I could make it in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I could make it in any entertainment industry that I honestly wanted to. It could be a model if I want. I, the people listening to this can't really see the way I'm dressed right now, but I could more than likely be a model. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's right now it's pro wrestling and coffee shops is my immediate focus. And coffee, not kombucha. I do drink kombucha. I do drink quite a bit of it, but I'm a coffee guy, yes. Okay. What is your... Because if people are listening to this, they're going to see you in public and they go, the, round, the next round's on me. Not that you need the money, of course. What kind of coffee should they buy you when they see you? Well, if they do happen to run into me in a coffee shop, it's one of two things. It's either going to be I'm going to be in a Starbucks, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get a venti iced Americano, black, no room for cream, thank you. And then if I'm in a more boutique coffee shop, then I like to enjoy a cortada, which is an espresso-based drink. It is equal parts espresso to equal parts milk. I do oat milk because I do not drink dairy because I am not a baby. But those would be the two things that I would say. If you want to really please Richard Holiday, either get me a venti iced Americano, black, no cream, or a cortada, oat milk. Okay. And are you very specific about food or is coffee the number one for ingested kind of, you know, things? Well, yeah, I'm very specific about food. I mean, if you take a look at me when I'm in the ring, uh, I'm absolutely shredded and I look fantastic. Duh. And I'm not like one of the fat boys in professional wrestling. Um, I don't do any dairy. Uh, like I said, dairy is for babies. I'm a full-grown man, so I don't drink milk. Um, other than that, you know, it's a lot of lean meats, vegetables, you know, things that fat people don't eat. So uh, that's what I do. That's how I'm so successful and I'm going to continue to do that. So we've learned a lot about you here. So I'm going to end on a high note and say... Any last words for the kids, Mr. Holiday? Uh, for the kids, not really in specific. That's just one demographic. I like to focus on every single demographic, so I'm not just going to focus on kids. But what I would say is follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter, at Most Marketable. Same handle for both. I didn't want to confuse you guys. And tune in to Major League Wrestling each and every week. We're on Saturday nights, 9 p.m. on BN Sports. We're on YouTube. I think we changed the upload date maybe to Saturday nights yes. instead of Mondays. It's tough to keep up with everything. Um, but that is what I would say to the consumers out there. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.